Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to Grace. We're so glad you've been a part of this worship experience so far, and pray that God really, really meets with you today. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You would be amazed if you knew how many times I've used that line, especially with young people, and I'll stand by that statement. Friendships often determine whether we flounder or flourish in this life. I believe that relationships are the most precious part of life, and thing about it is this gospel message that we preach is all about a relationship with God. God has called us into a relationship with him, and it's out of that that these healthy relationships with others are designed to flow. So let me ask you in getting started today, would you describe yourself as a person who has some really healthy, solid relationships with people? Boy, I, I hope you could give a, a hearty yes to that and and that it's really true of you, because I want to tell you, that's the environment in which you're most likely going to really flourish. But here's the problem. That is just not the experience of most people. Most people would describe themselves as really struggling when it comes to healthy relationships. Perhaps you've heard of that great American theologian, Justin Bieber, you know, you know the one I'm talking about? Great theologian, very deep, uh, unbelievable. Uh, he said some time back in an interview with the New Musical Expression magazine, he said, and I quote, I'm struggling just to get through the day. You get lonely, you know, when you're on the road. People see the glam and the amazing stuff, but they don't know the other side this life, he said, can rip you apart. And then he concluded by saying, I would not wish this upon anyone. Interesting statement, huh? From a guy that most would say, wow, he has it all. Or how about this statement from Warren Buffett? No doubt you recognize Warren Buffett as one of the wealthiest people in America. Indeed, one of the wealthiest in the world. Some years ago, at a speech made at the University of Georgia, Warren Buffett said, basically, when you get to my age, you'll really measure your success in life by how many of the people, this is an interesting statement now, listen to this, you'll measure your success by how many of the people you want to have love you actually do love you. I know people who have a lot of money, and they get testimonial dinners and hospital wings named after them, but the truth is that nobody in the world loves them. If you get to my age in life and nobody thinks well of you, I don't care how big your bank account is, your life is a disaster. That's the ultimate test of how you have lived your life. Now, both Justin Bieber and Warren Buffett are both kind of talking about the incredible value of healthy, loving relationships. And so I wonder if that's the reality for you. 
What has your journey been with relationships? My guess is if we had time to just kind of sip a cup of tea together and, and really slow down, and I could hear your heart on this, no doubt some of you would tell of enormous pain. Because this I know about relationships, they have the potential to be the greatest source of joy in our life, but also conversely what? The greatest source of pain and disappointment. Some of you will remember that old song. It was a classic by Paul Simon called I Am a Rock. You remember those almost haunting lyrics where he said, I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. And those haunting words resonate with a lot of people because that's where we want to go. We would go, look, I've had enough pain with relationships. But here's the problem. That's just not a legitimate option if you want to flourish. So let's spend some time together today unpacking what some of the things are that the Bible describes about healthy friendships. And I, I hope that wherever you are in this whole question of relationships, I hope that today will be a helpful time. I hope that God, the Holy Spirit, will teach your heart. He's been teaching me all week long, and I just want to share with you some of the things that, that I'm discovering about relationships. First of all, let's talk about the profile of a healthy friendship. Now, what I mean by a profile is you know, there's kind of this description, some of these salient features that ought to be a part of any healthy friendship. So let me mention three of them that I certainly value, and I'll bet you do as well. One of them is dependability. I want a friend that is dependable. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Is that the kind of friend you want? I'll bet it is. Through the highs, the lows, uh, up times, the down times, when you're soaring in life, when you're really struggling, you want someone who is there for you and truly dependable. In fact, let me give you a phrase that is just an oxymoron. Fickle friend. Is that an oxymoron or what? Fickle friend. I mean, those words just don't go together. If it's going to be a friend, you want consistency and dependability by definition. But you know what? That kind of friend can be hard to find. It takes a certain level of character to have someone in your life who really is consistent in their love for you through the highs and lows. Proverbs 25 says, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. And boy, is that true. If you've tried to rely on someone that you felt should be there for you, and boy, they just let you down, you know, you know how painful that can be, right? 
So I'm looking for a dependable friend. Second, this may shock some of you, I want in my healthy friendships, I want directness. Proverbs 27 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't want anybody to be confused by what I mean by directness. Healthy friendships are when you can risk speaking the truth in love. And that may cause a little bit of a wound at first because like, whoa, gee, I I don't like what you just said. That, That makes me feel insecure or like I don't measure up or like, wow, I've got a blind spot here. But we need people in our lives who can rebuke us and challenge us when that is necessary. That is necessary. Now, way back in college, um, I went to a little private college called Carson Newman over in East Tennessee, and a little school of about 1,600 students at the time, and I was the president of the Baptist Student Union. I tell you, that I need affirmation for that. Wasn't that cool that I was the president of the Baptist Student Union? Union, BSU. Our motto motto was, look, without you, it's just, well, you know, you know what it is without you, BSU. And so we had like 300 students that came out on Wednesday night. And on a bad night, we might have 100, 120 if it's just before finals. My point is, it was a pretty robust ministry It was well attended, and I was the president of BSU, okay? And our director of spiritual life at the campus was a man named Ursel Harrison. What a name, huh? Ursel Harrison, good man. Now, I and some of my friends were religion majors. That means I had taken some theology classes, and I had studied a little bit about church history, and I was taking New Testament Greek, And boy, I want you to know this about me, I had all the answers. Isn't that cool? And my friends and I, boy, we knew everything that was wrong with the church. We knew all of the inadequacies and problems of the church. And even though none of us had ever led a church before, we were sure that we had the answers and we were hypercritical. And we just constantly, we're spewing out this negativity about there. By the way, just so you know, that is not all that unusual. If you've had a family member, a son, a daughter, a friend who's gone to seminary, let's say, and maybe they've learned just enough to be dangerous, they suddenly can be hypercritical. It just happens all the time. Here's the problem with people who've got a little bit of learning. They just don't know how much they don't know, okay? They just don't know how much they don't know. But I was in a state then where I knew everything. And so one day, Ursel Harrison, bless his heart, in a private meeting with me in his office, he really spoke directly to me. He said, well, Rex, to listen to you and your friends, and he named them. I won't name their names just to protect their identity. He said, listen, you guys, you'd think the church is just awful. Do I need to remind you that Jesus loves the church? Do I need to remind you, Rex, that Jesus shed his precious blood for the church? And 
I got to tell you, it's hard. It's hard for me to hear you trashing it day after day. And I honestly believe it grieves the heart of God. And then he looked me right in the eye. He said, you're a leader. And I'm challenging you today to change your attitude, not only for your own sake, but for the sake of all of those who look up to you. Wow. I had never had a friend challenge me like that. But it's exactly what I needed. In fact, I mark that today as one of those watershed moments in my life where I realize, wow, I don't have all the answers. I've got blind spots. And we need some healthy friends in our lives who can help us move beyond those and help us see through things more clearly. So, so let me just ask you, if you were assessing your friendships right now, do you have any friends? I hate to ask you such troubling questions as these, but I got to. Do you have any friends who ever challenge you? Or do you just have friends who kind of slap you on the back and they're all smiles and everything's always wonderful and everything's cool and it doesn't matter what attitude you have, what opinions you express, what road you're going down, no matter how toxic they may be, everything's just fine. You need some new friends. If your friends are gonna help you flourish, you've gotta have dependability and you also need directness. Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Oh, I hope you have some friends who love you enough to speak the truth in love when it needs to be spoken. And by the way, my relationship with Ursula Harrison flourished after that. Oh, it hurt in that moment. I was a bit, I'd never had anyone speak that directly to me, but we went on to a deeper, more meaningful kind of friendship with him as my mentor than we had ever had before. There's a third thing I'm looking for, though, and that is depth. Depth. I want some friends that go beyond just this shallow stuff. Now, this doesn't mean that all your friends have to be deep. That's not even realistic. But somewhere, somehow, we have to get beyond just, hey, did you see the ball game last night? Hey, the weather's pretty hot, you know? We have to move on to something that's more meaningful, more substantive than that if the friendship is going to be healthy and helpful. Proverbs 20 says, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Now, you may not think of yourself as a deep person, but I want you to know, I believe there's more in you than you realize. And what I want for you, if you're going to flourish, I want you to have some friends who kind of draw that out of you. Say, Pastor Rex, how do you draw that out of a person? This is deep now. You ask questions and you listen, and you ask more questions, and you listen, and you play off on what you're hearing, and you ask more questions, and you reflect, you ask open-ended questions, and then you listen, and you feed back. That's the only way I know for a relationship to really go deep. Proverbs 27, classic 
as iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one woman sharpens another. That verse suggests to me sharpening requires a little bit of friction, doesn't it? You don't have any sharpening unless there's some friction going on. That's what creates the sharpening effect. So it suggests there's going to be debate and discussion and challenge and that you're going to spur one another on to be all God designed you to be. Oh, I want some friends like that for you. As I was studying for this this week and preparing, I was reminded of that classic friendship in the Bible between David and Jonathan. And one of my favorite verses that you can read about that, by the way, in, mostly in the book of 1 Samuel. And one of my favorite verses is chapter 23, verse 16. Look at what it says. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. What a great statement that is. That's what a healthy friend does, particularly a healthy Christian friend. They're going to help you find strength in God. So again, pardon me for being so troubling today with these picky little questions, but do you have any friends who do that for you? Or conversely, are you that kind of friend to other people? Are you the kind of friend who when your friends are around you, you help them find strength in God? You point them to reliance on God. You help them understand who the Lord is. Even by just being around you, it, it just almost comes by osmosis. It just comes out of your pores because you love the Lord and they kind of love him more too just by being around you. I want to tell you, that kind of a friend is beyond value. And by the way, we learn from those kinds of friends. Can I tell you something I know about David and Jonathan and this classic friendship? David learned a lot of things from Jonathan because if you go on a little bit later from chapter 23 over to chapter 30 and verse 6, you see a situation here where David has gotten himself in a pickle as a leader. Let me just describe it to you. At this point, he wasn't king of Israel yet. He was more like a renegade leader on the run because Saul, the king, was trying to kill David. It's pretty complicated. But David had a band of men, and they were kind of living out in the open, living in caves, uh, just trying to survive. And one day, they got a word that something was happening somewhere, and their base camp was this place called Ziklag, okay? little place called Ziklag. That's where they're children, their families were. That's where they were living at that time, kind of a base camp. And so the fighting men went away to go check this situation out. And while they were away, the enemy, the Philistines, came into the camp, captured and kidnapped their wives and children. Can you imagine the anguish of these men who, when they come back to their base camp, realize the enemy has come in and taken away their families, the people most precious in their lives. And these men are so angry. They're so bitter. They wanted to stone David because they blamed him for this disaster. By the way, leaders, that's just the nature of leadership. 
If you're leading any organization from a church to a business to a civic organization to something in a community or a college, a medical organization of some kind, listen, if something goes wrong, guess who everybody looks to to blame? They're going to probably look to you first. It's just the way it works with leadership. And even if you had nothing directly to do with it, if it happened under your watch, baby, you're going to get blame laid at your feet. And that's what's happening here. And so, man, look at what verse 6 says of chapter 30. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. I would be distressed too. Imagine that. Your staff, you go to work Monday morning and your staff is having a water cooler conversation and you're picking up words like, yeah, let's pound him with rocks. Yeah, let's split his throat. Yeah, let's, let's choke him to death. That's not good. And it says each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. They've been kidnapped and taken away. But notice, David found strength in the Lord his God. Where did David learn to find strength in God? From Jonathan. Jonathan showed him how to go to God and rely on God in life's worst trials. That's what a healthy friend can do for you. And one of the greatest legacies you or I could leave behind to our children one of the greatest, see, one day we're all going to die if the Lord doesn't return first. And we're going to leave a legacy behind. You do know that, right? We're going to leave a legacy behind. And one of the greatest legacies we could leave behind is, wow, she knew how to find strength in God. I am stronger today because of watching her. She was a huge influence in my life. Boy, that's a legacy that we all ought to want to leave behind. So dependable, direct, and a friend with some level of depth where you get beyond the surface things of life. But very quickly, after looking at the profile of a healthy friendship, I'm going to spend just a moment, just a moment, talking about the practice of healthy friendship. See, Many of us have been hurt so deeply by friendship, we want to we go with Paul Simon and go, I touch no one and no one touches me. I'm a rock and a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. When you've been hurt deeply, you don't want to go there again, right? It's been there, done that, please. And so we withdraw, we get in our shell. We want to go into a safe cocoon somewhere. We don't want to feel that kind of pain again. But I beg you to believe me on this. It's not a legitimate option. At least not if you want to flourish. Because God has designed us to live in healthy relationships. Oh, I know they may be pretty rare. And that's why we should treasure them when we really get them. They will determine the trajectory of your flourishing perhaps more than any single human element. So, a few little truths here from Scripture. Number one, the Bible says we should be selective in choosing friendships. Selective. 
Proverbs 12 says, a righteous person is cautious in friendship. Did you know the Bible teaches that? That we can be kind to everyone. We can, we can try to seek the best for everyone. We can be friendly to everyone. But we cannot, listen, we cannot be everyone's friend. We should be cautious in who we choose as our friends. Proverbs 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get ensnared. You see, here's the truth about it. If we walk with wise people, we grow wise. The company we keep tends to rub off on us and impact us more than we even realize. So that's why Scripture says, look, if you just want to be wise about this, you're going to be cautious. You're going to be selective in choosing friendships. Oh, how I wish you could go back in my own life and have some do-overs with that. Wouldn't you like some do-overs? You just weren't praying about it. You just weren't seeking God enough. You just kind of reacted impulsively and entered into a friendship with someone, and it just wasn't wise. Secondly, be slow in developing friendships. Again, the Bible warns in being too eager or too aggressive. I love this little verse from Proverbs 25. It says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, he'll hate you. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> we have our own way of saying that in this culture. We say, don't wear out your welcome, right? Don't wear out your welcome. So let it develop organically, and that's usually going to mean rather slowly. I looked up a bunch of definitions of friendship this week, but my all-time favorite definition of friendship is this. Have you ever seen this one? You probably have. Nobody knows who wrote this. Nobody knows the author. It's anonymous. A friend is one who knows the song in your heart, and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. Isn't that good? I like that. Knows the song in your heart. And knows you so well. They can sing that back to you even when you've forgotten the words. That takes time to know someone that well. This past Wednesday, Debbie and I celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary, okay? 31 years married. Thank you very much. And I know you're clapping for Debbie because she really deserves a medal. Trust me on that. But can I, can I tell you the truth about us? Even though we're best friends, even though we thank God for each other that God gave us the spouse we have, can I tell you? We're still learning some things about each other. We're still, after all these years, we're still learning some of the lyrics in each other's life song. And my point is, it takes time. But here's my final word to you today. Be selective in choosing. Be slow in developing. Here's a big word for you. Be sagacious in guarding your friendships. You say, Pastor, I've never seen that word before. Well, let me tell you, I don't see that word much either these days, but I read that word a lot in older Christian literature. In fact, you want to see that word? Go read the Puritans. 
they talked a lot, and I mean a lot, about sagacity. It's just a word that basically means wisdom. And if you want to flourish and you've got a healthy friendship or two, the scripture would say to you, guard that friendship wisely. I don't want to create paranoia this morning. I don't want to cause you to go out of here thinking, you know, wow, everybody's out to get me or something. But I just got to tell you the truth. There is an enemy of your soul who's very real, who does not want to see you flourish. Follow the logic of this now. If it's true, if my premise today has even a kernel of truth in it, that relationships, healthy friendships are the optimal environment for flourishing, guess who wants to sabotage your friendships? The devil. He wants to blow them up. He wants to cause misunderstanding. He wants to get you fighting each other. He wants to plant seeds of doubt in your mind and get your friendship undermined. Proverbs speaks to this whole reality. It says God hates that. When people who are in these healthy friendships get separated, all right, for ridiculous reasons, sinful reasons. It says in Proverbs 6, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, and every single one of them in one way or another has to do with relationships. And then verse 19 says, God hates a person who stirs up dissension among brothers and sisters. God hates that. Now, what do we mean by stirring up dissension? This is where you get people kind of thinking badly of each other. The way that usually happens is through gossip, right? Through these little innuendos that start getting developed based on something you hear or think you hear or something you saw or think you saw. And you start developing a whole narrative around that and then you start telling it to other people. Proverbs 16 says, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Get that. A gossip separates close friends. So we got to guard it. We got to be careful with our words. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost being. And if you've been the victim of gossip, you know how it can hurt. You know it, how it can wound. Proverbs 17, 9 says, he who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So I would just leave you with this challenge on this part. Before you spread a word about another person, can I just get you to ask these three questions, just three questions. Number one, is it true? And if you don't know for sure that it's true, then do not repeat it. Second, is it kind? Even if it's true, it may not be that you should repeat it. The question is, is it kind? If not, you bury it. Do not repeat it. And the third question is, is it necessary? I mean, do I really need to do this? Me telling this, is it necessary for promoting some kind of good in the world or in this situation? Is it true? Is it kind? 
is it necessary? Be sagacious in guarding your friendship. So as I close today, I want to come full circle. As I've said, my whole premise is that the most precious thing in life are the healthy relationships God gives us. The gospel, the gospel is all about relationships. Entering into a relationship with God and then letting healthy relationships with others flow out of that. And I'm so encouraged that when Jesus was walking this planet, one of the little tags that his enemies used against him, they said, he's a friend of sinners. Wow. But aren't you glad he is? Because I'd have no hope at a friendship with God if he weren't a friend of sinners. I love this statement from Exodus 33 about Moses. It's a wonderful statement. It says there, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Think of that. God speaks. Moses listens. Moses speaks. God listens. It's back and forth, face to face, friend to friend, as they commune with one another. I believe that God wants you as a friend. Maybe you're listening today and you've never been reconciled to God. If you sense that he's drawing you today, if you've sensed by his spirit that he's calling you into a relationship with him you can respond this very day. It's an invitation to flourish as you become a recipient of his grace. Father, I pray for those that you're drawing right now that you would continue to call them and that they would respond with open heart, open mind, open spirit to a friendship with you. Jesus said to his disciples, I call you friends. And I pray for those that you're drawing today, that they would truly come into a friendship with you through your atoning death on the cross, through the blood of Christ, with the forgiveness of their sins, and with a flourishing life of following you. Oh, we've got so much to learn. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. And we keep looking to you because we want to truly flourish. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.